All right. How's everybody feeling? Feel good? <laughs> All right. Hallelujah. Uh, let's get into this. All right. If you could open up uh, the Word of God to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. All right, let me, let me read that to you. Actually, when we have the, uh, the brothers go first and the sisters read the next verse and uh, vice versa. On to verse 16. All right, we'll end with verse 16. Uh, brothers, let's, uh, gentlemen, start first. One, two, three, go. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. All right. Very good. Good old, good old Mike Seaver. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I preached a message here at one called Superstar Saints. Talked about the Saints movement and how God gives us the fivefold ministers. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. He gives them to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I talked about how these fivefold ministers are not given so that they do the work of the ministry. But the Bible makes it real clear that they are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the main point of my message was that every saint... Is, go, is called to be an effective minister for God's purposes. Amen? You are a saint and you are a minister of God. That means you have a ministry. And a lot of churches, they have taught this escapist eschatology that says, well, the world's going to go to hell anyway, so we should just have nothing to do with the systems of this world. And so we end up giving the devil the high places. We end up giving the keys to the devil for arts and media and education and business. We just hand them all the keys and the devil's putting entire cities and nations under bondage, idolatry, oppression, darkness. And that the church is thinking this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is until Christ returns. And uh, I try to preach against that. That the church is not on earth to survive until the return of Christ. But rather, we are here to prosper. We are here to take dominion. 
We are here to advance the kingdom of God in direct opposition and confrontation to the kingdom of darkness. We are to infiltrate systems and to go into enemy territory and possess his territory and claim it for the king. The Bible says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Brothers and sisters, if Christ is in us, that means we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to go around doing the same things that Jesus did. And Jesus went around destroying the works of the devil. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're at a time, a point in history, where I believe that God is restoring things. He's restoring truth through the Reformation. He has restored the truth, the gospel. He's restoring power, Azusa Street, just pouring out His Spirit. He's restoring faithful ministers. Through the last uh, few decades, he's just, been, he's just been restoring every one of the faithful ministers. And it's kind of gone backwards. It's gone, instead of restoring apostles and prophets, he's kind of restored pastors and teachers and evangelists, and then prophets and then apostles. And we're, we're in the season of restoration, and I believe that God... Is no longer, um, you know, looking for churches that are just going to do church well. You know, churches, you know, a lot of churches have become so dead and dry. They're more like nursing homes. There's a bunch of people getting together and waiting until they, until they die and go to heaven. And what God's trying to do is he's trying to get heaven into us. He's trying to bring the kingdom of God and establish it here on earth. Now, does that mean that? The whole earth, we're going to have dominion over the whole earth and Jesus is going to win over all the nations of the world? Well, we know through the Bible that that's not the case. We know that there will, there will not be complete dominion. But one thing's for sure, there's got to be greater dominion than what we see right now. In a country like Cambodia, country like Thailand, you go to Vietnam, you go, you go to these places and there's poor education. The children are being enslaved being sold by their own parents into the sex trade. Okay, this, these kinds of injustices shows me that we need to go and destroy the work of the devil. And so, you know, I talked about this, this, this message about the saints and how God is calling each and every one of us to engage uh, the work of advancing his kingdom. Now, um, today, I'm going to focus a little bit more on, not on so much on doing, 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 Today we're going to focus more on being. I'm going to focus more, a little bit more on character and maturity. All right. Um, if you look in Ephesians 4, we just read it here. Ephesians 4:11. The Bible tells us that the fivefold ministers are given to the body of Christ to equip the saints for the ministry, but it also says they are given to build up the saints so that they can become mature. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse. Look at verse uh, 15. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. I want you to turn to your neighbor, tell him right now, you need to grow up. I know you've been always wanting to say it. Just tell it to him right now. 
You need to grow up. God must be trying to tell you something, brother. Now, in verse 14, it also says, so that we may no longer be children. You know, when Paul was writing this letter, he wasn't writing to the youth group. He was writing to adults. But isn't it a shame we got so many adults that still act like children? Mm, mm, mm. But this is the church, we need to grow up. We are to nurture a childlike heart, not a childish one. And God calls us to maturity. He calls us to character. He calls us to grow up. And so um, today I'm going to talk about the different stages of growing up. Uh, I'm going to describe right now four stages of maturity that most people experience as they grow up. Uh, This is a message that I first heard about through Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Texas. Uh, He's he's an awesome um, pastor, preacher. I would really highly recommend Gateway Church's uh, podcast if you want to tune into that. And uh, in these four stages of maturity that I'm about to talk about, these four stages, they apply to the biological process of just simply growing up. It also applies to marriage. And it also applies to your spiritual walk. So let's look at it right now. Um, I'm actually going to use the parable of the prodigal son to kind of highlight some of the points uh, that are in the stages of of maturity. Uh, Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 12. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 12. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. And the younger of the sons, he said to the father... Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me the share of property that is coming to me. The number one stage in maturity is the give me stage. Okay, all the, sta- all the stages are going to have two words. All right, so it's easy to memorize. It's give me. Every person in the world, they start in the give me stage. Children are born in the give me stage. If you look at a little child, all they ever say is, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. All right. If you ever hang out with a little child, that child is never going to ask you, "Uh, uh, what TV show do you want to watch? Okay. Because it's all about them. It's all about give me, give me, give me, give me. And the hope of every parent is that they can see their children outgrow this stage. And this is where every one of us, we start biologically. And this is also where all of us, we start spiritually. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but, you know, all of us, we got saved for selfish reasons. There's nothing wrong with that. God knows. Okay. But if you really think about it, why did most of us become Christians? Because we don't want to go to hell. It's, or, or we wanted God to straighten out the mess that we made for ourselves. But oftentimes, when we come to Christ, it's for a lot of selfish reasons. We, we start out spiritually, every one of us, in the give me stage. And Jesus said, in order to see the kingdom of God, a man's got to be born again. 
Okay? So spiritually, when you get born again, you're like a little baby. You could be 30 years old. If you get, if you get born again when you're 30 years old, you're like a little baby spiritually. And when you see a baby Christian, what are they constantly saying? Give me, give me. Give me prayer. Give me blessings. Give me counseling. Give me Bible study. Give me, give me, give me. Right? And there's nothing wrong with this. This is perfectly normal. But it becomes a problem when you have had plenty of time to grow and you still remain in the give me stage. Now, a lot of Christians, man, they get stuck in the give me stage. They don't grow past it. You know how you can tell? You, you ask them the reasons of why they hopped around to different churches. A lot of times, you know what Christians usually say? You know, the number one reason why Christians change churches is because I wasn't getting fed. I, I just felt like I wasn't getting fed. And I, I know that it's, it's a legitimate reason. It's a legitimate reason. But there's also something terribly wrong behind that. If the Think about it this way. In the physical, if the only time you ate was once a week, you would be pretty malnutritioned. Wouldn't you? And the only time that you ate was when somebody else prepared a meal for you. There's something wrong with you. Uh, if a phys- physically a person did that with food, there's something wrong with you. Well, why, why is it different for spiritual food? Why is it that the only place that you get fed is on a Sunday? And then if the, if the preacher or the pastor is not preparing good sermons, you're just not getting fed. Well, what, what about you read your own Bible? What about you study it for yourself? What about you go pick up a Christian book? What about you listen to some podcasts? You go, you learn to feed yourself. But you know what? A lot of Christians, they get stuck in a gimme stage. So they just hop around. Church to church to church. And, and it's sort of like this consumer mentality. It's a very American thing. It's this consumer mentality. Let me shop around until I find the, the church that kind of best fits me and is and I'm comfortable with and that has the best sermons and, the, and whatnot. I don't know. But brothers and sisters, it's best to go to the church the Holy Spirit leads you to, number one. I mean, you should outweigh different, different options and different things you like about a church. But the number one reason you should go to a church is because the Holy Spirit leads you to, to it. You know, I just heard the testimony on the way here. My wife was sharing about a girl named Jenny that came out to our church last week for the first time. And the way that she found our church at Hillside was through a Facebook ad that we have posted up regarding the Niagara Conference. So she clicked through to Niagara Conference, clicked through to our website, and then she looked at the church and she knew that Korea had a reputation. She's a college student. She knew that Korea had a reputation for bringing Christian college students here and then getting them drunk and debauchery and wasted and sleeping around, all this stuff. And so she, she was afraid and she was really praying that God would lead her to a good church where she can call home. And then she goes to our website and then she really starts praying for our church and asking God to really confirm whether this is the church where she was supposed to attend or not. And then last week she came for the first time all right, and then God gave me a particular word. Call out all the newcomers for an altar call. So that last Sunday I did an altar call just for newcomers. And a whole bunch of newcomers came forward. And they were really hungry. And one of them was Jenny. And we're praying for her. And she's just getting blasted by the Holy Spirit. And powerfully getting touched. And so Aaron got to talk to her today. 
and just asked her, you know, what, what was going on with you? You look like God was really touching you. And she shared this testimony of how she found our church through Facebook and that when she showed up to our church, God gave her many different confirmations that this is the church that she was supposed to be at. Okay? I mean, that's, see, that's, that's how you find a church that you want to call home. You get the Holy Spirit involved. You listen for the voice of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Where was I? All right. The gimme stage. Uh, this is also where uh, every marriage begins. Is in the gimme stage. We don't have many married couples in here. So I will address Perla. <laughs> Perla. Philip got married to you so that you can give to him. And I don't know if this is true, but you probably got married to Philip so that he can give to you. You know, every marriage, this is not where we end up, but this is where every marriage starts out, is in the give me stage. Um, every man gets married so that a woman will feel will meet his needs. And every woman gets married so that a man will fulfill her needs. A month ago, uh, Aaron and I, we did a marriage counseling for another couple at Hillside named Martin and Tina. And there was an activity that we did for the marriage counseling where each and every one of us, we made a top five list. Top five things that we want our spouse to meet. The top five needs that we want our spouse to meet. So I remember I started going to work on my list. And I was excited. I knew exactly what I wanted. I want breakfast twice a week. I want, you know, I just like had these specific needs that I wrote down on my top five list. And when I, when I, when I shared the list, I, w- I, I emphasized it. I made sure I was nice and loud and clear. But, I, but when Erin started to share her list, and I'm just got to be real, right? I wasn't nearly as excited about her list as I was about mine. That's because we've only been married about two years. And every marriage begins... In the give me stage. You know, God did not design marriage so that you can be happy. Did you know that? The whole point of marriage is not so that you can be happy. This is for all those people that are interested in getting married, you know. But let me just give you the rude awakening now. Wait, you know what? I'm supposed to share this later. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to share this later. But anyway, the, for marriage to prosper, couples need to mature out of the give me stage. They need to learn how to mature out of the give me stage or the marriage will fall apart. Um, and the truth is, every one of us, we start in this stage, whether it's biologically, spiritually, or in marriage, Every one of us, we start out on the give me stage. Uh, I go to the second stage. It's the use me. Use me stage. God, I want you to use me. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to do your will. God, I want you to use me, use me, use me. Now, there is a good use me, but I'm not talking about that. The second stage of maturity that I'm talking about here is a hidden form of selfishness that has the appearance of maturity but lacks the substance of it. 
You know, you ever meet people that are, have leadership positions and they're being used by God? But when you really get to know them, they don't really have any maturity at all. They don't have that character that you thought they had just because they had a guitar and they're up here singing and, and they just look so much, so they look so holy, right? But then when you really meet them, they're t- telling crude jokes. Their, uh, their character just doesn't line up. That's because a lot of people, uh, they get into the use me stage and they have the appearance of maturity, but they don't have the substance of it. First stage is about gimme, gimme, gimme because of our selfish desires. The second stage is use me, use me, use me because of our selfish ambitions. The main drive that we want to be used by God is so that we can be noticed, is so that we can be recognized, is so that we can feel important and accepted. You know, in Acts chapter 1 verse 19, Peter and John, they were going around, they were laying hands on people to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And it was powerful, it was dramatic. And Simon the magician, the town magician, he had just gotten baptized and became a Christian. And he was following Peter and John around. And then he said, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may also receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this sounds really noble, right? Because Simon's like, let me help you guys out. I, I also want this ability so that I can bless people. I can, I can give them the Holy Spirit. You know, and it sounds really noble. But Simon wasn't saying this so that he can bless people and honor the Lord. He was saying this so that he could be powerful again. See, because he was a magician, everybody in the town adored him, knew about him. He was a powerful man. But when he became a Christian, he had to kind of put away those magic arts. So that when he sees a greater power, the power of the Holy Spirit, he starts to go after that. And he says, give it to me so I can also be used. But the use me here, all right, it's, it's, it's a use me that, that is uh, it's, it's from a place still of immaturity. It's a use me that is driven by selfishness. Now, how does this apply to marriage? How about the use me stage for marriage? Well, in marriage, in the first stage, people say, I want you to give me something that will make me happy. Give me, give me, give me. And then after a while, the person starts to figure out Wait a minute, this person can't really give me what I need to be happy. And by the way, um, this is what I want to share from earlier. To all the married people and to all the people that are uh, that you want to get married, you're, you're hoping to get married, I'm just going to spit the truth to you. Your spouse cannot make you happy. Amen, honey? Amen. I can I can try. Like, I can't really make Erin happy. I can try. But a lot of times I'm disappointing her. Okay? Now, you can have a happy marriage, but your spouse does not have the ability to make you happy. See, only God can make you happy. And if you're looking to your spouse to make you happy, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And what happens is, People get to this stage where they're so disappointed after give me, give me, give me. They're so disappointed by their spouse. They say to themselves, 
Well, since my spouse can't meet my needs and make me feel happy, then I want to go and do something so that I can feel significant and feel happy. So I can go and achieve something so that I can feel happy, so I can feel important, so I can feel good about myself. And what happens is one spouse gets consumed by work and ambition, striving after whatever goals they have. And then the other spouse gets completely estranged and feel distant in their marriage now. And this is where a lot of divorces take place. A lot of divorces don't take place in the give me stage. See, after a few years of marriage, people realize that their spouse really can't give them what they need. It's when, when couples get to the use me stage. When they start looking other places and start doing other things to try to fill that need to feel happy, fill that need to feel accepted and important. That's where a lot of couples, they, they get divorced because they just, they just don't feel that intimacy anymore. Brothers and sisters, like I said earlier, God did not create marriage to make you happy. God created marriage to make you holy. Right on. And when you are holy, you see, when you're holy, you're going to find greater intimacy with God. And the more of God you get, the more you will experience true happiness. And so it's like this. God wants to give you happiness. He wants, to, he wants you to be happy. But you see, He knows that in order for you to be truly happy, He's got to first make you holy. He's got to work on making you holy. Because you see, if you want to be holy... If you truly want to be holy, you got to learn how to die to yourself and lay down your life for others. If you really want to get close to God, you got to learn how to be selfless. Because see, see, the Bible says God is love. And that Greek word for love is agape, which is a particular kind of love. It's an unconditional love. And the unconditional love of God is a selfless love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. So if you really want to be happy, God knows He's got to give you Himself. And for God to give you Himself, He's got to make you holy. Because you're never drawn near to God unless you're in agreement with God in His holiness. So God designed marriage so that you will learn to be selfless. So that you will lay down your life like Christ did for us. Marriage is designed to make you holy. That's why a lot of people get so disillusioned and they end up in divorce. Because their whole paradigm, their whole grid is marriage is supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to make me hengbokhe. That's what all the Korean dramas tell you. Marriage, you know, what? that's, that's the most common thing that they say in the Korean, the Korean dramas. You know, the man always says to the, to the lady, you know, I'm going to make you hengbokhe. Hengbokhe jukhe. You know, like he has the power to actually do that. But it is always like, I will make her happy. I will make her happy. And it gives us this impression that marriage is supposed to be all about happiness. I'll tell you right now, it's not. It is about happiness in the long run. But it's really about holiness first. It's about making you selfless. And then God gives children into your marriage so that you can learn even more how to be selfless. Let me tell you right now, 
It is hard to be selfish when you got to wake up at 3 a.m. to take care of a baby. Amen, Perla? I mean, God's given us this marriage to transform us, to make us holy. So, you know, use me, use me, use me. It's a good thing to say to God. But when we are young and immature, a lot of times it's for the wrong reasons. And we got to watch ourselves. doesn't mean I don't want you to serve. It doesn't mean you should stop saying use me. It's just that you don't want to just get blinded to why you are saying use me. The, the selfish ambitions that are actually driving you to say that. You want to become aware of that. You see, King Saul, he never got out of the stage. King Saul was all about use me, use me, use me. But if you really examine the life of King Saul, he wanted God to use him as king, but he was always more concerned about what other people thought rather than obeying the voice of the Lord. Because you see, for him, it was about his reputation. It was about his own ambition. And a lot of us, we go through the stage. We say, we say to God, use me. So that we could look good. But God wants us to get us to a place where we say, God, use me so that you can look good. Now, uh, these are the first two stage of, stages of maturity. I'm going to move on to the third. Uh, look at Luke 15, 17. Prodigal son, he says, give me, give me. He goes out there, squanders all his wealth. And then seven, verse 17, he starts to come to, he starts to think about what happened and he, he's, he's broke. And he says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, but when he came to himself, all right, the third stage of maturity is search me. Search me. If you really want to grow up, you got to come before the Lord, quit blaming everybody else for your problems. And start asking God, Lord, search me. You know, you will never mature in your spiritual walk as long as you are blaming somebody else for your circumstances. Even if there is a fraction of blame in your heart towards someone else for your circumstances, you put a halt to the maturity process in your life. We have got to learn to take responsibility for ourselves, brothers and sisters. You know, uh, this whole blame thing, it all started in the Garden of Eden, you know. You know, uh, Adam sinned. Now, he was tempted, all right, he was tempted. His wife did it, so yeah, maybe there's some peer pressure, I don't know. But he made a choice to sin because he knew perfectly what God had said. So he chose to sin. Now, when God confronted Adam for his sin, Adam, guess what he did? He blamed Eve. He said, it's the woman's fault. All right. In actuality, if you really read the text, he's blaming two people. Because Adam says, the woman that you gave me. Okay, this whole blame thing, it started in the Garden of Eden. Right, God comes, confronts Eve. Eve says, well, it's the serpent made me do it. It's not really my fault, you see. And unfortunately, men and women have been playing this blame game ever since the Garden of Eden. 
you know, marriages that get in, get into the blame game, they fall apart. You know, marriages they go through stuff. You know, you're not you're not always going to see all bright days. There may be days where you go through some stuff. Economy drops, recession hits. I don't know who, who knows. You know, there could, there could be some stuff you go through. And when bad stuff happens to marriages, you see, when bad things happen to marriages and marriages start falling apart. It's not that the bad stuff caused the marriage to fall apart. It's just that the marriage, the bad circumstances simply exposed what was really in the marriage. You see, when you squeeze an orange, what happens? You get orange juice. You squeeze a lemon, you're going to get lemon juice. When, when pressures and hardships come to, to a marriage, it squeezes that marriage. And those bad circumstances are not causing that marriage to go to divorce. Sometimes those bad circumstances simply expose what was already going on in that marriage. And a lot of marriages, they end up in the blame game. They say, it's, it's, it's my wife's fault. I can't do what I want. That I can't achieve my dreams. It's the in-laws. And they play this blame game. And let me tell you, here's how you get out of that blame game. You come before God and you say, Lord, search me. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there are any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's good. That is a good prayer to pray. But you know, a lot of times, we refuse to allow God to search our hearts. We refuse to allow a spiritual leader to speak into our life. You know, sometimes spiritual leaders, they look for opportunities where you allow them permission to speak into your life. You know, I, myself as a pastor, when I meet people, if I'm discipling a young man or something like that, I'm looking for opportunities where that young man is giving me permission to speak into his life. For example, my brother Marcus here, right? Pastor Marcus is, is one of my disciples, right? I watch him sometimes, and he doesn't want to hear anything from me. Because, you know, he's, he's stressed out, or he's, he's, you know, he's being hard on himself, and whatnot. He just wants to hear. But there are other times, he'll come in my office, and he'll be like, hey, give it to me. Tell it like it is. I, I need to hear it. Okay. That's Marcus giving me permission to speak into his life. That's Marcus saying, search me. Search me, O God. You know, search me, O God, is not just a prayer you pray secret before, before the Lord. Sometimes God will answer that prayer through your spiritual leaders. A spiritual leader will be able to, observing you for the last six months, you can see all kinds of different issues, all different heart issues you got going on there. He's been, he been looking and searching. And you give them permission, that spiritual leader will speak into your life. But you know what? A lot of times, people refuse to receive this. People block spiritual leaders from being able to speak into their lives. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's insecurity. But brothers and sisters, if we come in agreement with pride and insecurity, we end up unteachable. We end up even unreachable. And we stop the process of growth that God wants us to go through. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when we stop listening to each other, 
It's just a matter of time before we stop listening to God. You ever see people that have, you've known them for about 10 years and they are at the same level of maturity as when you knew them 10 years ago? Come on now. Man, when I go back to Philly, all right, man, there's plenty of my Philly friends, man. They are at the same level of maturity as they were back in 10th grade, 9th grade. They still talk the same. Some of them are married and they still, they, they're still the same way. You know, you know why such people don't grow? Because they don't allow anyone to speak into their life. They don't, they're not honest about examining their own hearts, about examining their own issues. If you really want to grow up, you got to come to a place where you turn toward God and say, Lord, you search me and you stop quit, you quit blaming others for all of your problems. You take responsibility for your actions. But you know what? Unfortunately, many believers, they never get to this stage. You might be saying, well, you don't understand what happened. You don't, you don't understand. It really isn't my fault. It's someone else's fault. If you knew what happened to me, you would, you would understand. It, I would not be like this if it wasn't for them. It really is somebody else's fault. Okay. Now, I, I don't know what you've been through. But let me just speak the word of God. God does not... See, you're not responsible for someone else's actions. But the word of God says that God does hold you responsible for your actions and your reactions. So God may not hold you responsible for what happened to you, but he does, res- he does hold you responsible for how you respond to it. Are you going to choose to forgive? Are you going to choose to receive the healing of God? Or are you going to just hold on to that anger, hold on to that resentment? What are you going to do? Brothers and sisters, it's very important that we regularly search our own hearts. Let me ask you all a question. Have you ever lost your wallet? Or your keys? Or your favorite outfit? All right, what do you do? You start looking every place that you can find. Right? And you start searching in places you know those keys can't be at. But you look anyway. Because they just might be there. But you search. You pick up the couch. You look behind the TV. You search everywhere. Well, let me ask you. When's the last time you searched your heart in that way? And you ask God, Lord, what are the things that are keeping me from growing? Lord, uh, what are the things that I got to repent of? What are the things that I got to renounce? What are the things, what are the heart issues that you want me to deal with, God? Lord, search me, Lord. That's the third stage. Here's the fourth stage. Luke 15, 19. In the ESV, it says, uh, you know, the, the prodigal son, he starts preparing his I'm sorry speech. It says, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And in verse 19, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Or in the NIV, 
It says, make me like one of your hired men. The fourth stage of maturity is make me. Psalm 23, verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Psalm 119, verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Or most vivid imagery you get in Isaiah 64, verse 8. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. People who really begin to mature, they get to a place of full surrender toward God where they're not afraid. You know, earlier we were singing, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Or people who really move up into these stages of maturity, they get to a place where they say, God, I'm not afraid. They're in a place of such full surrender. They say, I'm not afraid. I trust you. I understand that you love me and you have, you're a God of goodness. You have, you are looking out for my best interests. You have plans not to harm me, but to prosper me, give me hope in the future. I understand. I understand. I'm not afraid, God. So Lord, make me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Make me into the man you want me to be. I don't want to stay where I'm at. God, make me into a man of character, a man of faithfulness, a man of integrity. Make me into a woman of boldness, a woman of leadership. And this is when we get to the pure place of being used by God. You see, when when it's not just all about doing, 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 use me, use me, use me, but it's about, Lord, make me and use me. Now you're getting with the program. You see, remember Martha? She was running around, just doing, 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 doing all this stuff. But Jesus said something interesting. He said, Mary has chosen the better. And it's not going to be taken away from her. I don't think Jesus was saying, Martha, all this work, all this hospitality. Hey, this is useless. All you need is just worship. Come on. Come sit down here. Let's just, just do worship. Just, just listen to me. I don't, think, I don't think Jesus was saying that. I don't think Jesus was belittling work. We need workers. All right, Jesus said, harvest is plentiful, workers are few. We need workers, by the way. We need Martha's. But, see, Martha had it backwards. She was doing work, work, work. She was in a use me, use me, use me. But she was completely missing, search me and make me. And you see, although Mary was a little bit more lazy, she was choosing to search me and make me. And she, would, she just knew that she had to spend a lot of time in Jesus' presence for her to be the woman God wants her to be so that eventually she can continue to do the things that he wants her to do. John Maxwell said it like this. He said, character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Let me ask you all in here. How many of you in here, you want God to make you into the man or woman that he wants you to be? You want want God to make you. Come on. Raise your hand if that's you. I want God to make me. I'm the clay. He's the potter. Lord, make me. 
Raise your hand nice and high. Come on. Let me see it. All right, you're going to lower your hand. I guess the people that didn't raise your hand, you're still in the give me stage. It's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll give you whatever we can give you. Well, I'm just playing. But, uh, you know, a lot of us, we want God to make us. He, we want God to forge the character of Christ in us. And if you really want God to do it quickly, I want to share with you a secret. You know, a lot of people say, you know, character is a slow work. The fruit of the Spirit. It's like watching fruit grow. I mean, it takes a long time. You've got to keep coming back to the tree before you see anything. All right. Fruit of the Spirit is very different than the gifts of the Spirit, right? And a lot of people say, well, there's no shortcut to character. And I, and I agree to a certain degree, though. There is an express train to character, by the way. There is an express train to maturity. I'm going to give you a little secret. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character. The really interesting thing is pain produces character very quickly. Do you still want God to make you? You still want the character? You still want the quick character? Pain has a way of forming the character of Christ in you a lot quicker than you just studying about that character. Just reading books about the character. Listening to sermons about character. Oh, I've gotten 20 sermons about character. Oh, I'm on my way. <laughs> Tell you right now, if you just go through a little stuff, you could just go through some stuff. Uh, you will get character a lot quicker than just studying about it. We need to study about it too, but I'm just saying. Something about suffering. It matures us. You know, if you look at the men and women of God in the Bible that demonstrated awesome character. Men and women that were not just known for their achievements, like Samson. Great achievements, poor character. If you read about the men and women of God that actually had the achievements and the character, like Joseph, like David, like the Apostle Paul, what you would notice that they have in common is they all persevered through great trials and suffering. Joseph got beat up and sold into slavery by his own brothers. Imagine, imagine the emotional pain. Not to just mention being beat up. And then he had to be framed for rape when he didn't even do it. When in fact, Potiphar's wife tried to come on to him. Alright, he ran the other way. Ran so fast, he left his clothes behind. Now that's, that's not a good situation to be found in, alright? <laughs> Right, make sure you go back and you, you get the cloak, all right? Because, <laughs> you know, she's screaming, rape, rape, and you're like, I ain't do nothing there, but you're naked? All right, doesn't look too good. Anyway, he got framed for rape, ended up in the dungeon, in the prison. He went through some stuff. David, right? King Saul tried to kill him. He had to go out and hide out in caves. Slandered, rejected. Right, he went through some stuff. Apostle Paul? He got whipped by his own people, got stoned, 
got shipwrecked, rioting, people plotting to kill him every town he goes to. Paul went through some stuff. The key to gaining character, by the way, is not just suffering. It's persevering through suffering. You can see a lot of people, they suffer, but they got poor character still. There's a lot of people, they just, man, I, I just, man, my life is messed up. And you look at them and they, their life is messed up and they still have poor character. See, suffering is it's not, just suffering doesn't produce character. It's persevering through the suffering. It's rejoicing, being able to rejoice in the suffering. Knowing that that suffering is actually working for you if you will allow it to. But a lot of people, when they suffer, when they go through hardships, when the economy goes bad, when they get slandered by their coworkers, when they get fired suddenly, when the Korean company refuses to give you your paycheck, your hagwon's not giving you your paycheck, someone steals your, uh, your, your money, your family betrays you, uh, your coworkers persecute you for your faith. When you start going through these hardships, a lot of people, they start complaining to God. They get embittered. They don't rejoice. And unfortunately, what they go through, all that hardship, it doesn't produce no character. So guess what? You go through it again. <laughs> I wouldn't have been great if you just go through it once and you get what you, what you need from You get the character that you should get from it so that you can go on to your bigger assignments. Because by the way, the more mature you get, the more faithfulness you prove before the Lord, the bigger the assignments he'll give you. If you want to be transformed from glory to glory, we have to learn how to persevere through the growing pains of life. And by the way, the growing pains of life, they're not that bad. If you just learn to rejoice, let me give you a picture of rejoicing and suffering. Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. These homeboys, they get captured. They get whipped 39 times. And you saw the movie Passion, right? I mean, I don't know if it was the same whipping that Jesus went through. But it's still whipping. All right, whipping. They were bleeding. That's a, the big thing is they were bleeding. And they didn't have any neosporin. Okay? And on top of that, the guards, they lock them up into prison. Put shackles on their ankles and on their hands. And they're just in some cold prison. Who knows if it's a winter and who knows what season it was, right? And they're there in the prison. And they're suffering. But let me give you a picture of perseverance through suffering. This is what Paul and Silas did. They started to sing. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Without cracking the voice like that. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Come on, Silas, sing it. Show me your glory. Hey, shut up over there. What y'all singing about? Show me your glory, Lord. They were beaten, whipped up in prison. And they were singing songs of praise to God. Brothers and sisters, no matter what hardship or growing pain or bad circumstances come your way, let me encourage you. Rejoice. Praise your way through it. 
Because then at least the hardship, it works to produce the character of Christ in you. Let me tell you why we we get the character of Christ so much more powerfully and quickly when we go through suffering. You know why? Because Christ suffered. That's why. There's something about suffering for the sake of Christ, for the sake of His name, that causes you to be intimate with the Son of God. The Bible talks about sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. So, I want you guys to, as Jesus taught us, count it joy. Count it a blessing when people persecute you, slander you, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Leap for joy. Rejoice in that day. That's a blessing in disguise, brothers and sisters. I, I don't know if I'm going to my fifth point. Should I share my fifth point? Fifth point? Y'all want me to share my fifth point? This is my, this is my custom, this is, this is not Robert Morris. This is my Christian Lee. This is my fifth point. I'm at, let me add one more stage to the process of maturity. Okay. The last stage that I can see, and this speaks about the vision of our church. Alright. You got give me, use me, search me, make me. Now Lord, send me. Isaiah 6 verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. This speaks about the apostolic spirit. That as God's, you allow God to search you and make you, you, you understand that your transformation is with a purpose. See, God transforms you so that you can transform the world. And so this is where you say, Lord, send me, God. I'll represent you. I'll go and do your work. Lord, just send me. This is where we say, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. You know, when Christ walked this earth, the Bible says that God sent his son into the world. God sent his son so that you can be free. And then God sent his spirit so that you can be filled. And then now God is looking to send you so that his kingdom can come and so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Me. I want us to just uh, just take this time and just I just invite you just to uh, pray in your own words to the Lord and just ask God. Ask God to help you to grow up. You know? Ask God to help you to maturity, character, faithfulness. In your own words, I want you to just, just ask God to, Lord, search me. Make me, God into the man and woman you want me to be.